Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Michael Krasny. With key swing state results still outstanding, Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden now has more than 71 million votes and has said he will win enough states to become president. Meanwhile, as final results draw closer, President Trump this morning tweeted, Stop the count. We'll get the latest on the election. Then at 9.20, Pulitzer Prize winning writer and historian John Meacham joins us to bring this election into historical context. We'll look at other close elections in U.S. history, and we'll talk about his most recent book, His Truth is Marching On, John Lewis and the Power of Hope. That's next, after this news. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. Welcome to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. The presidential election continues to be a nail-biter this morning. Joe Biden's lead over Donald Trump grew on Wednesday with wins announced in Wisconsin and Michigan and gains in the counts in Pennsylvania and Georgia, which is expected to announce results shortly. The race in Arizona is tightening in favor of President Trump, and meanwhile, Trump's campaign has filed election-related lawsuits in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Nevada, and Georgia. Joining us now for the latest on the election is Dan Balls, chief political correspondent with The Washington Post, and welcome, Dan Balls. Thank you very much. Nice to be with you. Good to have you with us. Uh, I guess let's try to sort this out as best we can and get as updated on it with you. Uh, there has been, at this point, uh, varying figures uh, in terms of electoral votes, 264. If you go to Fox News or AP, um, President Trump was livid about those 11 more electoral votes for Arizona that Fox has declared, but only um, 253 if you exclude Arizona. So to some extent, a lot of focus on Arizona now. Um, where are we and where are we, frankly, in all the battleground states as you see it? Well, we're we're waiting for the uh, the vote counters to continue to update the vote counts. Um, so we're, we're sort of in a limbo situation. Um, talking about Arizona first, uh, at this point, former Vice President Biden does have a lead. Our news organization has not called this race, and, and most or many have not. Uh, you mentioned Fox has. has. But, um, but this race continues to tighten. Uh, I say the Vice President, the former Vice President has a lead, um, but it has gone down from several hundred thousand to in the range of 70,000 at this point. Um, there are many ballots still to be counted. Um, it's not clear that we're going to get all of those counted 
uh, or reported today. There's some talk that um, at least one county, Pima County, might not report its results until tomorrow. Uh, Maricopa County, which is obviously the biggest, it's the Phoenix area, um, will not report, I don't think, until later tonight. And so um, we're, we're clearly in a holding pattern on Arizona. The Biden team says that they are confident the lead will hold up. The Trump team, in a conference call with reporters an hour or so ago, said they are they are confident that in the end they will be able to overtake uh, Biden and and uh, hold that state. If you look at Georgia, uh, Georgia is a situation that's that's kind of the reverse of that, which is that uh, Trump holds a lead, has held a lead, but it continues to to narrow. Uh, it is now roughly fifteen thousand votes with about fifty five thousand ballots left to count. Um, everybody is trying to figure out exactly not only where those are, although we, we basically know where those votes are, um, but how they are likely to go and what percentage Biden would need to be able to win the state. The Biden campaign feels that they may be able to overtake Trump. The Trump team, um, not surprisingly, believes that they will uh, in the end hold up. The big question mark is Pennsylvania. Um, because if Pennsylvania goes for Biden, um, nothing else that we've talking talking about uh, will matter. Um, and the, the 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 vice president, former vice president, is still well behind. But there's you know perhaps hundreds of thousands of votes not yet counted. Uh, probably the bulk of those in Philadelphia, in the Philadelphia uh, city, which would be strongly Biden. So um, we're we're watching that very closely. And we still have Nevada and North Carolina in the mix as well. And we also have uh, a flurry of lawsuits and legal challenges from the president uh, for a recount in Wisconsin and lawsuits in Pennsylvania, Michigan, uh, actually also probably Arizona, Nevada. There's an attempt here, isn't there, Dan, to delegitimize 150 million votes to sort of exclude valid mail-in votes and early votes uh, and maybe even get it to the Supreme Court, which seems at least unlikely at this point. Your thoughts? Well, the president tweeted this morning, stop the count. Um, and of course, if that were to happen, he would lose the election because <laughs> Biden is leading in enough states to give him the presidency. Um, the, the campaign itself is uh, filing any number of, of uh, legal actions and legal protests. Um, it is not clear at this point um, which, if any of them, will turn out to be material in the, res in the outcome of the race. Um, there, it's not clear that there is an overall legal strategy. Um, uh, there's no, there's no one kind of legal guru for the campaign, uh, and so it, it seems a bit haphazard. It's a, it's a, it's a defensive strategy. Uh, it's an effort to, you know, to to raise questions and raise doubts about it. Uh, your your question about attempting to delegitimize it. I mean, the the president has made clear uh, that he believes that the election is being stolen. Um, in what is just the normal counting of ballots that, that arrive on election day. And, and in some of these states, including, and, and most important in Pennsylvania, that could not be uh, even begin to be processed until election day. And mail ballots take you know, much more work to process than, than in-person voting does. So um, the, the, whether this will ever get to the Supreme Court uh, is a big question mark. It would have to go through a lot of other legal uh, hoops and maneuvers to, to do that. And so far, there's nothing that we see at this point that kind of rises to that level. But 
again, uh, we'll, we'll see. They have, uh, the Trump campaign has asked for uh, a recount in Wisconsin. That is perfectly within their right. Um, but because of the current margin in Wisconsin, they would have to pay for that. Uh, one of my colleagues reported this morning that they would have to pay for it in advance, that they, that they would have to put the money up front uh, before it happened. When Jill Stein did this uh, after the 2016 campaign, she asked for a recount in Wisconsin. It cost about three and a half million dollars. So we'll see whether the Trump campaign feels that that in the end is worth spending the money on. We're talking, if you just joined us, with Dan Balls, and he's chief political correspondent with The Washington Post. And we should mention that President Trump had been telegraphing a long time ago the likelihood in his mind of a rigged election and certainly has been blasting that uh, ever since the election began. For some reason, he seemed to think that uh, the results should come out the same night when characteristically and historically, and we're going to be talking with uh, presidential historian John Meacham later in this program, the idea of getting the results in one night is at best fanciful when we look at history. Uh, let me invite those of you listening to join us with Dan Balls. If you have questions for him or if you simply uh, would like to weigh in here, we'd like to hear from you. You can call us at our toll-free number. It's 866-733-6786. We welcome your calls. Again, the number for them, 866-733-6786. Or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or email questions or comments you might have to forum at kqed.org. And we'll get to your comments and calls and questions in just a moment. I want to go first uh, with you, Dan, to Georgia, if I may, and talk about the Senate race there, because so much really hinges on how that's going to come out in terms of Kelly Loeffler and Raphael Warnock and uh, the likelihood of another Senate seat possibly for the Democrats, because at this point, it doesn't look like they're going to get a majority. No, it doesn't. Um, ironically, it may be that the, that the balance in the Senate will come down to um, not just one, but possibly two runoff elections in Georgia. Um, both of which the Democrats would probably have to win in order to get to 50, uh, 50 votes in the, or 50 seats in the Senate, and in which case they would need to have Joe Biden as president and Kamala Harris to be the tie-breaking vote in the Senate. Um, obviously, the, the, the Warnock-Leffler uh, race is going to go to a special election. The big question is whether the other race between uh, incumbent Republican David Perdue and John Ossoff is Democratic challenger will go to a runoff. Uh, to avoid a runoff, Purdue has to get uh, at least 50% of the vote. Um, according to the numbers right now, he is literally at 50.0. Um, one would guess that uh, this could slip down a bit and that he would be forced into a runoff, uh, depending on how the uh, how the votes overall uh, you know continue to be tabulated. But if if Biden continues to make gains. Uh, in the presidential tally in Georgia, one would expect that uh, that Purdue's margin would slip below 50%, uh, and then we would have two runoff elections in January uh, in the country waiting to see whether the Democrats would be able to control the Senate at that point. Again, we're talking to Dan Balls, and let me read a response uh, from a listener from an email. Listener writes, it looks pretty clear today we will learn that Biden has the electoral votes to win. My biggest concern at this point is what happens in the period between announcing and inauguration. Trump will be even more unhinged than he normally is, and that is scary. There certainly has been a lot of speculation about how President Trump is going to behave or comport himself uh, if he does lose uh, to Vice President Biden. And you've written rather strongly about uh, the president. You talked about, uh, shall we say, the weaknesses in our democratic uh, 
processes that have been brought out by, well, for lack of a better word, demagoguery. Um, I'm wondering what your thoughts are along the lines of the question that the listener is raising. Well, it's a very good and very important question. I mean, he will continue to be president of the United States until January 20th, um, and will have all the powers that, that, that go along with the presidency. Um, we don't know exactly how he will respond if he is not the winner of this election. He has, you know, he has repeatedly declined to say he would, you know, he would embrace a peaceful transfer of power. Um, but even if he, you know, did that, there is a lot that he can do in the intervening time, um, particularly in the executive branch. I mean, there's a new uh, executive order, uh, which, which basically removes a lot of the protections that career civil servants have, um, who then could be removed. He could make those kinds of changes. Um, so there's, there's, all, there's all kinds of things that he might be able to do. And I think uh, one big question is if he loses this election, um, the extent to which members of his own party, um, which is to say the elected leadership of the party, um, would, would attempt to you know, rein him in. Um, they've been reluctant to do that throughout his presidency. We've, we've known that. Reluctant, um, I think, is a, is a generous word here. Le Dan, let me, we've got seconds left here. I want to get a caller on here. Let me get George on while we have some seconds with you. George, go ahead. Yes, hi, good morning. First of all, I want to identify myself quickly. I'm a Democrat, been a lifelong Democrat, and I worked for a number of years in the Department of Elections in San Francisco. So I have some questions regarding the election. First, the state of North Carolina has been at 100% for two days. Why wasn't it called first? Second of all, Arizona was at 83.7% on election night, and it was called. So since when does 100% mean 105% or 110%? Should right, North let, me, let me go right to George. Let me uh, go right to uh, Dan on that. Dan Balls on North Carolina. Some thoughts? Um, I don't know the answer to that. And I have not asked our folks why that has not been called. Uh, we, we generally rely on uh, Edison, which handles the exit polling. So um, I don't know. On, on uh, you know, on Arizona, uh, news organizations individually make their decisions about when to call a race. Um, but it is not, you know, it is not unprecedented for a news organization to call a state and then have to take that call down. So, um, you know, Fox decided early on to do it. It, it, uh, it terribly upset the White House and the Trump campaign. We've got to um, leave it there. Dan Balls, many thanks for being with us. I appreciate it. We've got an election update from Dan Balls. Stay tuned. More ahead. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. A young correctional officer. He said it was the most dangerous prison in California. Forced to make a choice. Fulfill his oath or back his fellow officers. Recognize the badge of my office. I'm Suki Lewis from KQED Podcasts comes on our watch season two. 
New Folsom, a story about who gets hurt when the system that promises to keep us safe is bent on protecting itself. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts.